Welcome to Sincerely Two Imperfect Therapists, a podcast where we discuss boundaries, money stories, healing within relationships, the therapeutic process, social justice from both the therapist and the client perspective, and the nuances of the human condition. While we may not have all the answers, we use our expertise and personal experiences to guide our discussions that we hope spark curiosity and reflection within yourself. Please note, this is a podcast that's not intended for supervision, therapy, or guidance for your individual needs. Rather, we intend to raise awareness on important topics. We do our best to provide content warnings, though if any topics are upsetting to you, please seek local emergency support. Hi, everyone. Before we get started with the show, we're just going to ask you to please go ahead and leave us a review, five stars or whatever you feel like this episode is, uh, this podcast is worth. I think it's five stars. I don't know about you, Laura. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, And we would love if you can share, um, follow, and um, we are looking forward to hearing more feedback from all of you and on with the show. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I have had a tough day. Mm. Um, the waterworks, for whatever reason, just like will not stop flowing, but we're riding through it. Yes. Um, and I have a pounding headache, but we're here and we we're showing thriving. up. That is my honest answer for you today. I love it. <laughs> Rather than just saying, we I'm love the good, transparency. <laughs> yes. Um, today's let's get deep question is what reality TV or game show do you think we should do together? whoa yeah I gotta admit um I don't watch reality tv so I don't even know what's out there um yeah yeah. well I mean I do but it wouldn't be one that we would be on together because I watch like the bachelor and stuff okay I mean we're both married so that wouldn't work I mean I like you but (laughs) right yes (laughs) um uh, game show could be due together I don't even know what game shows are out there either so fun fact about me, um, my parents did not let me watch TV during weekdays. I was only allowed oh. to do schoolwork. So to this day, I barely watch TV. Wow. Yeah. I I am a TV watcher. I was a bit sheltered, though, with it as a kid. Like, I haven't watched SpongeBob before, like anything on yeah. Nickelodeon or okay. like Cartoon Network. Like, um, the other day, my husband asked me about a uh, TV shows like oh did you ever watch that as a kid I was like um no we had like PBS and the religion channel um <laughs> yeah so I wasn't allowed to watch anything that and um I would like at four o'clock after school Maury would come on mm. like the Maury show yeah and um I would watch that but then I would quickly switch channels if my mom came downstairs because yeah. I wasn't allowed to watch that <laughs> um <laughs> but I guess the only other te- like the like the only uh game show that I can really think of that I guess I watched pretty religiously growing up would have been The Price is Right. Um, oh, oh yeah. I know now. Maybe Wheel of Fortune. My grandma used to watch Wheel that all the time. Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, yeah. Just don't put me on Jeopardy because I don't know Yeah, facts. I don't know shit about shit. I don't know facts. Yeah. yeah. My husband's family religiously watches Jeopardy. And um, I just sit there because I don't. I don't, right. <laughs> I don't. And of course, they're all like calling out answers. And yeah. I'm like, I know nothing. I know nothing. Um, I would do Wheel of Fortune. I feel like like those puzzly mm-hmm. word word things. Word things, yeah. I don't know exactly how the wheel works, but me neither. Um, or like buying vowels and stuff, but we we could try. Yeah, we could we could try. <laughs> yeah. I ooh, let's make a deal. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that one? I th- where they have yes, like the cases, the cases with money. Yeah. That one just feels like it's easy because there's like it's just all chance. Yeah. You know, you just pick a case and hope for the best. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. We would not be good at game shows, but we would try them together. Yeah. yeah. We would give it a good old try. <laughs> we would get a yeah. 
a good old college try. Um, so today's topic that we're talking about is this kind of buzzword of trauma. Um, it seems like something that kind of everybody, at least in the mental health sphere, or kind of even lightly associated with it, is talking about it. And um, so I wanted to bring it up because I feel like something that I've heard a lot or seen a lot is people who are kind of throwing up their hands in exasperation and saying, gosh, it seems like everybody has trauma these days. And I wanted to kind of address that statement mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, so when you first hear that, like what comes to mind for you as far as like, everyone has trauma these days? Um, I think that given how, right, psychology in itself has changed over the small history that it has, right? Psychology is a pretty relatively new field. It hasn't been around for that long. And the amount of changes that we're seeing, it doesn't surprise me that now it's something that we're having a conversation about more actively. Um, I'm also not surprised that it's a conversation we're having after the world collectively <laughs> suffered a, I honestly would call it a trauma, just oh. collectively all of us yes. together. Um, so yeah, I think that there is a very good reason why everyone is talking about trauma and a lot of things are considered trauma now. Right. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's different, um, levels Mm -hmm. of trauma, right? So in the most common form that we talk about it is that we have big T trauma Mm -hmm. and little T trauma, right? Big T trauma being, um, a life threatening, um, type event. So, uh, a robbery or going to combat in war or a sexual assault Mm -hmm. or watching the death of another person, Mm -hmm. um, tragic car accidents, things like that are kind of considered that big T trauma. Whereas we have little T trauma, which could be the death of a pet or a loss, a a traumatic grief, Mm -hmm. loss of a family member. Um, that in some, in some fashion, because trauma is subjective, in my opinion, something even like stubbing your toe could be a little T trauma. And that's a really like exaggerated, (laughs) exaggerated way of using it. And I'm not saying that everybody who stubs their toe has trauma, but those little T traumas kind of, I think that that's what we're seeing more people kind of talking about. Um, that it's not necessarily these life threatening scenarios, but we're seeing people who are talking about instances of severe bullying or, um, being in emotionally neglectful relationships Mm -hmm. or having caregivers who are emotionally neglectful, um, that, Perhaps they had food, water, shelter, housing, a good education. They had financial resources, Mm -hmm. but they had parents that were emotionally distant. And I think we're seeing a lot more conversation around those types of experiences, um, toxic workplaces, Mm -hmm. things like that. And so that conversation has gotten much larger. Whereas previously, as you've mentioned, right, like throughout history, we've seen this understanding of trauma as being really that big T trauma perspective that that was like the only way to understand PTSD Mm -hmm. um, or trauma in and of itself that you had to go to war or have a really tragic life-threatening experience. Right. And I I think another conversation everyone, at least mental health providers are shifting towards is that everybody gets to decide what trauma looks like. Um, And I think that it's it's relative like I can't sit here and tell someone that what they 
went through isn't trauma because it's not my job to dismiss someone's experience. Now, as a mental health provider, I always try to encourage for individuals to also expand their emotive vocabulary where they're describing experiences like um, because I have heard the term like kind of thrown around. Sure. Right. About like certain things like. I did stub my toe. I did stub my toe. It was so traumatic. traumatic. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe it was stressful. And that definitely sucked. And and it really hurt and sucked. But it's definitely not a trauma. Um, And so another thing that I I think is important to know is so a lot of people there, I've heard that there are like some controversy around like even using the terms big T, little T. Sure. Um, You know, and and I think mental health providers just kind of use that to differentiate, right? Is this like a life-threatening experience? Because studies have also shown, and I'm saying studies in general because I've read them. um, I do not remember exactly the name. So don't, nobody quote me on this exactly. (laughs) I'm not trying to plagiarize here or anything. Um, But that sometimes big, I'm sorry, little T traumas can accumulate to being sometimes more harmful than a sure. big T, which is, you well, know. I, from my understanding, that's also where we kind of get that, mm-hmm. um, like, tied into complex PTSD. Absolutely. Right. That right. It's not always life-threatening mm-hmm. accident or life-threatening over incident and over, again. over and over and over again, that sometimes it is just uh, years and years of constant emotional neglect or yes. constant years of other instances where we have felt really hurt and pain and wounded from people who we believe that we are supposed to love and trust and and be safe with. Um, That's that culmination Mm -hmm. over, over time. Absolutely. I think you're right that there's kind of that, I think the big T, little T piece is probably more common among therapists. It's just kind of like our language of kind of distinguishing how to, understand the events that occurred mm-hmm. um definitely not something that I think I've ever really used in session with my Same. clients because yeah. I can see where that would almost feel invalidating in some yeah. way like in some way it could be psychoeducation but in in a lot of ways I feel like with my clients like being oh oh wait that's actually a little t trauma right could feel really it certainly doesn't feel that way <laughs> right? right yeah could feel really hurtful mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting. So I'm going to use an example, a parenting example that I heard um, that, again, I don't necessarily use with my clients, but I do try to keep in the back of my mind, especially when working with kind of helping people gauge, I don't even want to say like appropriateness of their response, but just gauging how severe it actually feels to them. Um, So I, I heard a parent who was trying to kind of go through this and um and just to drop her tiktok handle because i want to give credit where credit is due is lack of impulse control um and she had mentioned how she talks to her kids about big bummer versus Mm. little bummer um that it's a little bummer that your red cup not you know is in the that your favorite red cup is in the dishwasher and you have to drink out of the blue cup um whereas a big bummer is you fell down and and broke your arm Mm -hmm. and that that really hurts or the family pet died and that's a really big bummer Um, but to kind of try to gauge for kids kind of that scale and not in a way to minimize their pain Mm -hmm. but just to help them understand kind of the this that just the scale the scale at which we experience things and I think that that's I think that ties into this conversation about trauma because I think 
it's important to validate our clients experiences in the way of it sounds like you didn't feel heard in childhood right. like it didn't feel like mom was there for you when you needed her to be um while also kind of noting and kind of highlighting actual instances where like wow like you never deserve to have a hand laid on you mm-hmm. or deserve to be locked in your room for hours or go hungry or things like that um and I'm wondering how you approach that with your clients like how do you approach those conversations with like trying to keep in mind of like not invalidating or minimizing certain experiences while also kind of providing that education of like how do we define trauma how do we kind of scale these different experiences Mm -hmm. and really put a name to them without us necessarily as therapists putting a name to them for them does that make sense yeah I mean I I think the answer is that's always tricky to navigate um for me I always like to actually look at it through the views of like intent versus impact um and I like to break that down for clients um you know where not necessarily telling them oh well you know the person didn't mean that so the impact shouldn't be big but talking about the importance of um because I actually what I find more often than not is people who do minimize their trauma sure I don't have a lot of people who like I don't even want to use the word over exaggerate but I don't have a lot of people coming in with like a stubbing of the toe story sure. saying I'm traumatized sure but I do have a lot of people who come in saying oh I just have some anxiety and then we go through the biopsychosocial and I'm like oh, that's not anxiety right, <laughs> like, right. right. <laughs> we're already up there on the dissociative <laughs> continuum like right. what are we talking about here um and so a lot of psychoed about like what is minimizing and how minimization over functioning can yeah. be just as much of a trauma response as yeah, not like, functioning wait, wait, at all. Wait, we just totally skipped over that part right. where you said that well, your yep. mom kicked your ass every week. Like, can, right. we, go back can to we go back to that? Literally. Yeah. And I, I find myself backtrack. I actually did that this week where um, new client, you know, anyway, complex um, and just completely glazed over a part. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> let's pump the brakes here a little bit can we just er, go all the way back and can you elaborate on that point yeah. um and sure enough tears everything um yeah. starts coming out and sorry I'm not sure if that exactly answers no, it your question. D- no it does it does yeah because I think that you bring up a point that when we think about this like mm-hmm. kind of exasperation that like either mental health professionals themselves are Mm -hmm. saying which I have seen or kind of this more more often than not I've seen like kind of greater people in society yeah saying where it's this everybody has trauma these Mm -hmm. days and I think that that's you hit the nail on the head when you said more often than not I see people that are coming in that are minimizing rather than people that are coming in and saying that they're traumatized by just like existing right and sometimes with to a degree I've seen that happen in session where Mm -hmm. I have had to have some of those tough conversations of like how do we acknowledge that there are are mental health issues that Mm -hmm. you're struggling with and and pasts that are Mm -hmm. have been really difficult while also still trying to be functional and not allowing that to like incapacitate you right Um, and that's where that conversation of like responsibility comes in that, Mm -hmm. that what you always say which is that it's never your fault but it's your responsibility to heal right and so I think that's kind of that response to those kind of greater people that are just exasperated that it's 
actually that's not the case what we're seeing right. is that there are a lot of people who for a long time have denied the fact that they've had trauma right. and so as as a mental health field we're actually bringing light to the fact that trauma can look a lot of different ways and helping people feel validated mm-hmm. and then they can actually move forward versus continuing to be dysfunctional right and i think that's that's a i that was beautifully put i Thank you. As you were talking, I also think about like, so let's say that it is these people, right? Let's say it's somebody in their, what's supposed to be their support system who's saying like, oh my God, everything's like trauma to you. But for someone who has not addressed their trauma, stubbing their toe could quite literally be the cherry on top. And right. And, and we're thinking from the frames of the window of tolerance, the window of tolerance is basically your emotional bandwidth. Mm -hmm. And so it's how much you can tolerate before you go into a hyper aroused state, which is you're looking like uh, your panic attacks, your um, yelling and screaming, basically any um, mobilized response. And when I say mobilized, I mean something that elicits a fight or flight reaction. Mm -hmm. And then you go into your hypo aroused state, which is the numbing, the difficult saying no, Mm -hmm. um, basically not being able to self-advocate for yourself. You're playing dead, essentially. And so for someone who has not addressed their trauma, chances are, one, their window of tolerance is extremely low. Mm -hmm. It's not very flexible. So this person is either going into an automatic immobilized state or a mobilized one. But either one, it's it's an extreme reaction. So I'd be very, um, if we have anybody who's not a mental health professional listening in, if you're finding yourself getting irritated by things like, um, my God, I just had this conversation this week with a client. Like, um, I think they had mentioned like, oh, you know, it's not that bad. Like, I'm, it's not affecting me that bad. I'm just like finding myself getting irritated at things like someone talking to me and, you know, when uh, like my belt loop, this sends me, by the oh, way. Oh, stuck on the door. When the belt loop gets stuck on the <laughs> fucking door. I hate that. <laughs> oh, that will send me. Um, but that is suggestion. That is suggesting like there is something off because those someone talking to sure. you probably shouldn't be sending you over the edge. Right. I don't know if you noticed today, um, but when you walked in, I had a soaking wet t-shirt because I had gone into the bathroom to... I thought that was part of the shirt. Oh, no. <laughs> I had gone into the bathroom and basically drenched myself in water because I spilt coffee. My coffee, for whatever reason, today is like leaking out of the cap. Um, and I spilled coffee all over myself. And that would be an instance where I wanted to throw a rage fit, mm-hmm. but ultimately was just like... Breathe. This is frustrating. (laughs) I just put this shirt on, Mm -hmm. but it's washable. I'm going to wash it in the sink quickly to try to get some of that initial stain out and then just throw it in the laundry when I get home. But that's fine. Right. (laughs) Um, Versus if I was in a place of having some unresolved trauma Mm -hmm. or if that triggered something for me, I might have absolutely thrown and interestingly enough, I am feeling tearful today, but that didn't actually make me cry. Um, But but that might be something where it sends somebody kind of into that state of being either hyper or hypo aroused. And I think too, what you're bringing up is a somatic experience Mm -hmm. of trauma that that's held in our body. So who are we to say that somebody who stubs their toe and has a really visceral reaction to that didn't previously get their toes stomped on by their parent for punishment? Mm -hmm. That's something that could have been 
held deeply, mm-hmm. deeply, and probably even unconsciously that they didn't, that they're not making that association of like right. this feeling that I'm having in my body is very similar to this previous feeling that I've had yes. in my past. Yes, and I think that's why it's so important. I'm I'm not sure we even p- really plan to make this shift so soon throughout the podcast, but why it's important for if a therapist is going to claim to be trauma informed that they are actually trauma informed yes not just dabbling not just interested but didn't take one ce right not not exactly one ce course where you had to self self taught essentially like no you you have to think from that lens of with trauma you cannot think your way out of it i say this to my Mm -hmm. clients all the time you are not going to heal by thinking your way out of it you're going to heal by experiencing and feeling your way out of it because what trauma does is it it, it kind of fucks with your cognition, to mm-hmm. put it in clinical terms. Right. <laughs> it fucks with your cognition. Right. Um, and so to rely only on your cognition to be able to understand experiences that oftentimes are not rational, you're not going to find rationale behind irrational behavior. Right. So there is no point in trying to think your way out of it. You're just going to drive yourself up a wall. Right. Right. And so being able to acknowledge that there are, yeah, there are similar experiences like It took me years to go get pedicures done Mm. because my mom did not make cutting my toenails very pleasant when I was young. Um, It resulted in a lot of screaming and tears on both sides. (laughs) And so I haven't been able to get a pedicure until like this year. Sure. I'm 28. So, you know, and it's just like for when you put it into those perspectives it's like it's much easier to understand sometimes why people are walking Mm -hmm. around like they're about to pop a lid off or something because there's there's deeply held experiences that to other people may not be a big deal but that doesn't mean it isn't to someone else right right you know and I think we need to remember that everybody experiences things in a different way um and how memory how memories stick um, in our brain can also be different. Mm -hmm. Um, so like there are some clients who may be, or some people who may be bothered by one experience that another person is demonstrating incredible resilience. Right. Um, and also resilience does not mean that someone likes what happened. It just means that they have a better Mm -hmm. time managing it. Right. Just want to put that little side note in there. Or it was what was necessary that they they had to, they had to have, Mm good grades and be a top student and be the top performer that that was their way of survival Mm -hmm. in their specific situation um and that's not the only definition of resilience obviously but just as an example that we see those kinds of things it's like oh but you're so high achieving right do you have trauma it's like (laughs) okay (laughs) if you only knew (laughs) (laughs) um but I think that that's a an interesting perspective to take when we think about that compare and contrast that there can be a lot of that comparison and kind of I always like to refer to it as like the who has it worst competition oh god we don't need to go to that level and that what we're considering and this comes from like your and I's I think community psych background Mm -hmm. is that when we look at the whole picture right like certainly at surface level, stubbing your toe versus going to war as a mm-hmm. combat veteran, totally mm-hmm. different experiences. Yes. Right? Like, we can look at that on the surface and say, yeah, those are totally different experiences. One's a big bummer. One's a little bummer. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. But when we factor in certain circumstances, it can 
that can look like, okay, for somebody who maybe came from a really privileged background where Mm -hmm. they had a a ton of financial resources, they had food, they had housing, they had a good education, they've had lots of support and familial resources, but they experienced a parent who was really hard on them about grades and called them stupid and an idiot if they got a B. Yep. Sometimes that is somebody's worst right that is the worst thing that they've experienced so who are we to say that that's worse off than somebody else's worst do you know what I mean yes okay yes because (laughs) I explain this to my minimizing clients all the time perspective Mm -hmm. perspective is so important not only as you know as we use it in as therapists in the in the room but also for building a sense of community like right. you just can't you know like right. both suck mm-hmm. um my that was just a perfect yeah example. well it's like oh comparing apples and oranges it's, yes and it's not fair to do to either person or either party right, right. it's not fair right. to anyone and i think we owe it to ourselves and to other people that we care about to hold space for that without mm-hmm. judgment, to be able to take perspective and say, this isn't about me. That if somebody comes right. to me and is complaining because the worst thing that, that that's ever happened to them was that they lost a pet. Mm-hmm. And maybe for you, you've experienced years and years of childhood abuse and neglect. Right. To you, that might seem really small, mm-hmm. but we have to recognize that that's still a really hard thing to go through. And if that's the worst thing that they've experienced, sure, maybe we might be like, well, that's really, yeah. you're lucky. Yeah, <laughs> That's the worst thing that they've experienced. And yet saying something like that to somebody who feels like they're experiencing the worst thing of their life yep. is not helpful. Right. Right. And only creates a further divide mm-hmm. between not only that relationship but also in the mental health field and within society as a whole right that that's where we get into that who has it worse competition yeah and we totally negate any leg for the mental health fight to kind of stand on that it's if we're going to fight for mental health and we're going to fight for that to be treated on the same level as like medical health issues Mm -hmm. and and other issues in our society then we need to be able to hold space for all problems equally yep and I don't mean necessarily equally as in like everything's the same (laughs) just holding space for it all in a fair way an equitable way without minimizing one or one over the other yeah absolutely and I think that's a really important note for therapists to remember because you know we we hear so many things yeah so many things um so many stories so many experiences that um, I think it's also important to be very careful to not do the same thing to our clients where Absolutely. we're looking and being like, uh, are you, is this really like a big deal? Or, you know, yeah. where are the, where are this client's resiliency skills? Where are this client's like frustration tolerance and things like that? And I, sure, does everybody benefit from those skills? Absolutely. But I right. think it's important to take the time to acknowledge and write again, operate from perspective right. um, in order to effectively build a relationship with our clients for them to heal. I, I just saw this post. I don't remember who posted it. I need to start saving these things. <laughs> um, I was just kind of scrolling through and some someone on my um, business Instagram had mentioned that healing comes with a level of self-leadership mm. um, that if you do not have the skill of self-leadership then chances are it's going to be a very difficult process to heal um, yeah. because 
there is a certain amount of accountability. We've said this many times in the podcast. It's not your fault that you suffer trauma, but it is your responsibility to heal from it. Yeah. Um, because no one's going to do it for you. And that's just kind of the harsh reality. Right. Yeah. And there, there's no point in, in kidding anyone. Right. Um, there's also this uh, TikTok page that I, I frequently listen to. It's called Am I the Asshole? <laughs> um, and it's fantastic. This guy, by no means not a therapist, but just like sure. goes in, gives pretty awesome perspectives on certain things and mm. rates like people will ask a question saying, am I the asshole for blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard one today about, interestingly enough, a client and um, the, the original poster was saying, am I the asshole for telling my wife that she needs to go back to work? Apparently, his wife had suffered a mental breakdown mm-hmm. um, after her year, after year five of her teaching career, okay. um, which yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with how we teach, treat teachers. Yeah, country? exactly. Yeah. Um, and so at this point, three years had passed. Um, mm. No, sorry, five years had passed. Okay. And her husband, the original poster, um, was working about eighteen hours a day mm. to put food on the table, and um, you know his wife was going to therapy and focusing um, solely on therapy. Yeah. And he had brought it up that it's like you know, this isn't sustainable for me. I'm working 18 hours a day to put food on the table and he would come home and get a frozen dinner and yeah. things like that. And so it was a very sticky situation to navigate because I think a lot of people would hear like, wow, like, yeah, she had a mental breakdown after teaching and we get how hard it is for teachers, um, you know, in, in this, you know, in the world and, and how they get treated. But I was actually surprised to hear that any time that they went to couples counseling, the therapist um, said no to every single option that encouraged the client, um, her client, the wife, to um, practice some self-leadership. Interesting. Everything was, no, she just has to focus on her mental health. Like, no, she can't work. No, she can't do this. There was no Mm. suggestions of, okay, so you can't teach right now can we work in a slower pace environment how can we build um, income because this is not sustainable for your husband and ultimately this is going this is not a a sustainable plan there was no gentle challenging there was no gentle challenging there was again no responsibility yeah of yes this is hard it's also been five years where are we going with aside from simply acknowledging that it's hard. And that's that's the hard pill to swallow, I think, for a lot of people because they have these experiences that still feel so very real to them yeah. that they don't see a way out of it. But that's why actually being yeah. trauma-informed as a therapist is very important yeah. because if you do want your client to make progress, yes, there's that validation period, but there's also that healing period. There's also that grief period. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's about teaching the client to navigate through the discomfort. Yeah. Um, because, you know, and, anyway. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. And, and being um, realistic to a degree, right? right? Like we live in a society that is not yet where we need to be mm-hmm. in regards to mental health. And even in a perfect world where mental health is widely accepted and treated with all the respect that it deserves, we still have needs and responsibilities. And it's a conversation that I recently had with someone about 
the therapeutic relationship and and this person had kind of mentioned that it's important to be with a therapist that they were kind of like guiding somebody who they want to go to therapy and Mm -hmm. like hey just make sure that you find somebody who isn't necessarily just kind of sitting there and gassing you up the whole time like oh yeah wow that's so hard wow yeah mm -hmm, that's really hard yep and not that that's invaluable right but that if we do that for five years Mm -hmm. we're not helping we're We're not. not helping and Again, another conversation that I've had recently, and I think you and I have talked about this, even with our um, previous guest, Catherine Konworski, um, who's a school psychologist, that there have to be conversations about reasonable accommodation, Mm -hmm. that trauma is real, trauma is subjective, that it's not my job to tell people what they've experienced Mm -hmm. or how they've experienced it, but... I do find it part of my responsibility to to after we've acknowledged and validated those experiences to then think about, okay, what does feel realistic right now? And sometimes that is taking a break. Sometimes that is taking care of your mental health and putting that first and letting your job take a pause. Mm -hmm. Um, And other times that is easing back into part-time work yes maybe that's volunteering because you can't commit to a full-time job maybe that's just doing one week dog Mm -hmm. walking or that it's we can find kind of those baby steps and that's Mm -hmm. a conversation I've had with clients who kind of lean in this direction of like where this whole conversation kind of started but lean in that direction of kind of using their trauma in a way of like a crutch that it's Mm -hmm. just kind of well I have this and so yep that's it Mm mm-hmm but it's that helping them take responsibility of act in, in an empowering way. Like yeah. you actually have more power than this. You don't mm-hmm. have to just lean on this and have this be your life that you right. can take your power back, that you can right. own this and have a really satisfying, fulfilling life. How can we get there? And you're right that sometimes it can feel really distant, but to be realistic with our client, I think we owe it to them. Absolutely. Um, helplessness is is also a trauma response when as you were talking about that um hearing it coming from someone else I would have immediately looked at that as um this client um right the one that the tiktoker was talking about is absolutely hypo aroused Mm -hmm. they have completely submitted um there is no advocacy there is there is learned helplessness right and um it's, it's frustrating because like, like we say, there's good and bad in every field. Um, it's frustrating to hear that there is a therapist somewhere out there who is not challenging this client is yeah. probably isn't even aware that this client is in this state sure. of hypo arousal, immobilized. Can, can I interject for just yes, a moment? Of course. That's, so that's something that I mentioned to this person that I was speaking to is that that's likely a function mm-hmm. not to justify necessarily but coming from this kind of imperfect therapist perspective that's likely coming from a therapist who is burnt out Mm -hmm. overworked tired they've become complacent they're kind of sitting there with their clients going "Uh uh Mm uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah that's really hard yeah and it's unfortunate and I don't necessarily look poorly at that therapist I mean it's an unfortunate situation but I think that that's where it's important for us and what we preach on this podcast is kind of being in tune with ourselves yeah Knowing when to seek consultation or supervision, knowing when we're burnt out, paying attention to our own cues, our own trauma, to be able to recognize when we're 
maybe not serving to the best that we could be. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You made me think about it just because, um, so I, I think I mentioned before on the podcast that I went back to school. Yes. Um, so I started my, my program in um, a doctoral health science. And one of the things that has been constantly blowing up um, is this idea of like effective leadership mm. um, and how, you know, sometimes you know, I think it is important to acknowledge that there is a dynamic that happens in the therapeutic uh, room where clients do kind of look to us as a leader, a role model, mentor, coach, um, you know, all of these different, sometimes even sponsor. And in that, they, I've read so much fucking research um, <laughs> in the past week that the, one of the um, characteristics that really define a good leader is self-awareness. Mm-hmm self-awareness the ability to acknowledge that there is room for growth and that feedback does not necessarily mean criticism oh my gosh I feel like you are sitting in on all of my conversations this week (laughs) (laughs) fly on the wall um and and I'm thinking about that post that I saw today healing being able to process trauma has there there needs to be a form of self leadership you need to be able to acknowledge that you as the adult right and and now I'm getting into ego state work right here um it's this acknowledgement that there are um parts Mm -hmm. that are getting in the way right parts that are telling you that you can't do things all while negating that right now you are the adult that's gotten you to where you are and chances are you're the adult that you've always needed Mm -hmm. um that you may not be making every correct or perfect decision but that you know how to navigate your life in a way that makes sense for you you're just coming to therapy to help make sense of it um and i think that that's again leadership leading within yourself also requires a lot of self-reflection and introspection that um, as tough as it is and this may be a very controversial statement people come for me if they want that's fine is that um, sometimes we do play a role in our own suffering absolutely and as a therapist that is a hard conversation to have with clients but I think it's such it's so much more of a disservice to sit there and let the client continue into that cycle right. without acknowledging or, or bringing it out of the room for whatever, right? right. Um, not having adequate conflict resolution skills, right. um, not knowing how to have boundaries or not right. knowing how to communicate effectively. And those are all skills that we need as therapists. Even, yes, as reasons that they might not right. address it. Yes. yes. And it doesn't have to be doesn't necessarily have to be a super big like well you're doing this to yourself right 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 it does not (laughs) have to be that way and it probably shouldn't right Right. we should we can find really compassionate gentle ways empowering ways Mm -hmm. to bring that up that that can even be addressed in ways of people who cancel or Mm -hmm. no show consistently or frequently that that conversation can come up in more ways than one and we can kind of gently drop some of those seeds of you know I've been noticing that you've been consistently no showing and and then you're coming in and we're talking about how you feel like you haven't made any progress and you're back at square one so let's talk a little bit about that where do you think that's coming from Mm -hmm. and it can be an authentic curious conversation without being harsh and confrontational or bitchy for lack of a better word right like Again, I think I had said this last podcast, but 
that we it's our responsibility to kind of be curious and help guide our clients to their own internal understanding and conclusions Mm -hmm. that it's not our job to necessarily say like you're doing this to yourself but it can be helpful like an example I think I might have shared on here, but I don't know. I might have just told you. Like, sure. I get a big yeah. stuff sometimes. Like, have I just talked to Aida about this or have I actually said it on the podcast? But I was working with a financial uh, therapist for a while. And when we first started, we were kind of, I was kind of throwing out all of these complaints. And I was talking about, like, making money in my practice and feeling mm-hmm. frustrated and personally and in my business and this and that. And <laughs> I love her for it. And I, she probably knew that I could take it. Um, but she looked at me and she's like, do you want to keep being a victim? And I was like, <laughs> yes. God damn it, Judy. I was like, <laughs> I, like it, but she, but that was what I, I was in a place where I, she knew clearly yeah. that I was able to hear that yeah. and not, you mm-hmm. know, spiral. But it, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that I was kind of playing this victim game of, you know, this isn't right. And if only this, and if only that, and this happened and then that happened and mm-hmm. I can't do this. And she empowered me in that moment to take a step back and be like, okay, wait a minute. How am I actually doing this to myself? And it was actually at that point where then we had talked a little bit about some of my spending because mm. I was writing everything off as like self-care. I was like, yeah. ah, <laughs> coffee, self-care, self-care. Ah, <laughs> lashes, ah, self-care, nails, self-care, um, which I have a right to. And so we had right. talked a little bit about like how to scale some of that. I won't make this into a financial yeah, yeah. episode, but it was what I needed to hear in that moment to be able to actually look at those things that I was kind of writing off and spending frivolously on to say, what is actually bringing me joy mm-hmm. and what is actually like overextending me and kind of putting me into a hole and like yeah. making me feel like a victim. Yeah. And um, it was really what I needed. All of this conversation makes me think of this post that I had shared on my business Instagram uh, earlier. I, lo- um, I think I know which one you're talking yes, about. Yes. <laughs> from the millennial therapist um sarah kubrick and she posted might fuck around and take responsibility for my life instead of blaming everyone else i don't know could be cute (laughs) (laughs) i loved it i thought that was hilarious and just so on point i feel like yes and of course i i shared that and then i saw a bunch of people that were close to also share it because it's just so true it's just Mm -hmm. sometimes that's really what it comes down to is we really need to be able to take responsibility and so in this conversation of accepting and honoring trauma for what it is and naming that we then also have to supplement it with taking responsibility yeah I can hear a couple people in my mind saying like um oh that sounds like pull yourself from the bootstrap mentality and I want to make the distinction (laughs) is pulling yourself from the bootstrap mentality is don't acknowledge what's happening um pretend like it doesn't exist treat everybody the same right Right. um whereas this is not it taking accountability having some introspection and self-reflection is about acknowledging the experience being aware of what's happening and taking that experience to tell you what it is that you are okay with and not okay with to move forward right right? it's a conversation about boundaries it's a conversation about an understanding self-compassion so I I wanted to take a moment to make that distinction for sure just because I can already hear (laughs) people being like oh that's just toxic no but it's not right it's it's not go out and get a job exactly suck it up that's what we live in a capitalistic society Society. just get a job it's I don't give a shit if you get a job right if what you need to do is to volunteer first mm-hmm. then do that maybe get your feet you, wet maybe you can't even get out of the house right. maybe it's taking a fucking shower 
Yes. But it's action versus inaction. That's yes, what we're talking yes, yes, about. Yes, yes, yes. I'm thinking yeah. of this habits to goal worksheet that I often use with my clients to elicit like some type of response, right? If they're in an immobilized state. Um, that actually works really well for um, individuals who are recovering from or managing depression is behavioral activation. Set the bar at a realistic standard, achieve it, then keep slowly putting it up. 1% is better than no percent. Something is better than nothing. Something is better than nothing. I saw, I'm going to slaughter this quote, but there's a saying of like, even if you do something 50%, mm-hmm. it's still worth doing than doing nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, it, it's okay to put it forth 50% effort, but right. doing nothing keeps you stuck. Absolutely. Because I, I think in another, com- like we've, I mean, I think all of this relates to trauma and like how it presents, but um, consistency sometimes is more important than motivation Mm -hmm. um, because we're not going to have motivation every day, especially if you are an individual who's recovering from trauma where Mm -hmm. you can wake up one day and be triggered by something that it didn't trigger you yesterday. And it's about maintaining some consistency. But again, that comes with an incredible amount of self-reflection and discipline to be able to say that, you know, I I can continue to say this is happening to me. And, you know, if this was just in place, then, then I can do it and it's like yeah but world is not rainbows and unicorns out here you know they're realistically yes we want to honor that this isn't fair and we want to honor the fact that you would thrive under different circumstances so how can we get to those different circumstances right well it's like asking that question of if we acknowledge we live in a fucked up system that Mm -hmm. that feels like it's against you and probably in in some realities is is against you yeah um we have two choices we can either kind of sit back and feel powerless Mm -hmm. which is one way or we can do what we can to find the some semblance of control that we have within that fucked up system and it's not to say that it should always be that way right that that can hopefully and eventually turn into change Mm -hmm. and advocacy work and maybe you don't have the time or energy for that but there's a lot of us who do and we can kind of put that forth but it's it's looking at the circumstances that you have and and not in a pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind right. of way, but just in a empowerment way mm-hmm. of like, there is some choice here. And maybe the choices are shitty thing one versus shitty thing two. Yes. And there's not always to, a... We have to pick one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I That was so that was so great because yeah. I, I say that to people is that sometimes we're just faced with two shitty decisions that we have to make you kind of got to pick the lesser of two evils and that sucks but the world sucks and again it's acknowledging it but you like you said you can either fight it dig your heels in and pretend that the world is anything less than what it is or we can try to make our own way almost like beat the system essentially um there's one thing also that's just very loud in my head um about like this learned helplessness mentality is after a while if you continue to put your hand in the cage of a dog that you know bites you cannot claim to be a victim anymore yeah yeah not if you already know the dog bites and you continue to actively choose to put your hand in is there stuff behind that of course but that's where that introspection um comes from and i think as as i think there's two different perspectives here because i'm going to go with that analogy right that 
as somebody who's struggled with codependency in my personal mm-hmm. life, I can see myself being the person standing on the other side of that cage with that person being like, why are you doing this? All right. you have to do is stop taking, put your hand in the cage. Yep, and, yep. Gosh, the answer's right here. And why are getting frustrated with them, being burnt out, mm-hmm. feeling exhausted and feeling like it's my responsibility to try to convince them not to. And that's a, from a personal perspective and yeah. like a codependent recovery place. Um, but as a therapist, right, like that's where we get the opportunity to kind of compassionately stand alongside our clients and say, why do you keep doing this to yourself? Right. What's motivating you to do that? Mm -hmm. And what's happening here? What's driving this? And what would it be like to do different? And what scares you about not putting your hand in the cage? Right. What would that be like? Is it too scary to walk away? Mm -hmm. Does it scare you to, to feel the positive emotion of, feeling like you're not being bit or in Mm -hmm. pain that there can be that kind of conflict of even not being able to tolerate positive affect right and it brings me to kind of segue a little bit to uh something I had said to someone earlier which was that there can be joy in the neutral yes that I somebody had tried something new and I they said how was it and they said "Uh, I mean it was okay I guess I yeah. was like that's great mm-hmm. that's great that it that it wasn't you know oh my gosh I really enjoyed doing this really new thing and it was you know it's not also horrible and the worst thing that you did it was just okay and mm-hmm. the, you know what sometimes the things that we do and that's where I come to with like right. that like shitty one versus shitty two is sometimes things that we're going to just feel sometimes the goal that we're shooting for is to just feel kind of neutral or yeah. just kind of indifferent we don't have to be blown away and in awe and experiencing joy and mm-hmm. every like you might not experience joy working at stop and shop right you might not if it's neutral and you feel like it pays the bills then that's enough right then that's okay and we can find other places in our lives where we can find joy yeah or if it's volunteering or whatever it might right there might not be joy and that's where I get to like even with some of my like really depressed or suicidal clients who or people who have been deeply traumatized and Mm -hmm. are kind of coming out of this dissociative space where it's like we're not even looking to aim towards like joy and happiness yet we're just looking to neutrality endure neutrality yes yes absolutely (laughs) absolutely yeah that that is well said um I think that trauma goes it just goes so deep and it shows up so many different ways in, in individuals so you know, yeah. it's kind of circling back to that first point. Is it overused? I personally don't think so. Um, I think after 2020, uh, collectively, which is so interesting because you'd think that a collective experience would bring people together mm-hmm. and all it did was just... Well, in one breath, right? You can right. have people that say, oh yeah, that was like a significant worldwide mm-hmm. trauma for all of us. And then you have kind of the next breath is gosh, everybody says that they have trauma these days. It's like, well, didn't we just acknowledge that, that there was this something? was a collective trauma? Yeah. Like it just, it it's just mind boggling to me, the contradiction. And mm-hmm. I want to zip back and maybe we can end on this, yeah. but I want to zip back to what you had said. You had brought it up briefly, but thinking about how we're portraying ourselves and marketing ourselves as therapists when it comes to these trauma experiences right. that... I could probably make a whole episode with you on this, Mm -hmm. but it's sometimes a pet peeve of mine when I'm like scrolling through psychology today, or um, I even have clients who are going through Mm -hmm. psychology today looking for a certain referral, or they were looking for a different type of expertise, and they have people who have basically checked every single box. Oh my God. 
yes. on psychology today of yes. like they specialize in everything mm-hmm. and I think it's important and I'm not shaming other therapists right. but it, I think it's just an important question to ask yourself um and maybe go back to like our niche episode mm-hmm. um but to ask yourself like when checking that trauma box where is this coming from mm-hmm. am I trauma informed and I acknowledge that trauma happens and I know a bit about it enough to work with my other specialty that I primarily focus on or is this your core specialty that mm-hmm. if you have somebody who has a, a really deep and troublesome history of trauma mm-hmm. that you're going to be able to hold space for that and to know when to refer out that yeah. we don't want to necessarily be misleading clients in that way and I don't think it's happening necessarily intentionally right right I think it's probably coming from this place of like trauma is becoming more talked about and so therapists probably feel You're inclined yeah compelled to mm-hmm. put that that it like who am I if I don't right like if right, I don't right. put trauma then what does that say about me knowing how deeply ingrained this is in in so many right. people but I don't think we should feel that obligation I think we should be able to kind of know the difference between like trauma informed and having a specialty or like expertise in that right right and and as a tra- as a trauma therapist and I will say that yes. confidently yes. <laughs> I would agree um, that you can confidently say that thank you I will say like yeah I mean do I look at people coming through my door and immediately say like yeah that could be stemming from trauma like I think of eating disorders trauma oh, absolutely uh yeah yeah depression could it be a part trauma (laughs) you know I think of these things but that to say is yes if you have a specialty and you can acknowledge that it's coming probably from some trauma or some unaddressed things that are still showing up in the present so I think that's for me the easiest way to break down trauma to somebody um then then yeah keep doing keep learning keep doing what you got to do um you're valuable even if you only have one thing checked off Mm -hmm. on that psychology today box Mm -hmm. um for any people who are not therapists and are in psychology, because I've had this com- this conversation come up a lot on in, cult- in consults, a good way to gauge if someone actually is like f- specialized in something is look for commonality. Mm-hmm. So for ex- um, for example, and I'm not saying that I'm like oh I'm perfect at this. No, <laughs> um, but if you go on my Psychology Today profile, um, I have trauma checked off. But then I also have things that is relative underneath that trauma. So you'll have, you know, I have EMDR checked off. You can also write other. So I have um, uh, also attachment and boundary um, stuff come like written down as in it. And if you notice and neglect abuse and neglect, exactly. Relationship Um, issues, relationship issues, things that are related to the specific type of trauma that I treat, which is relational. Um, um, and, and so, you know, look out for things like that too, is, is there commonality? Is there a connection between that? Or, you know, is the therapist just clicking trauma, ADHD and depression (laughs) or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a, a good tip. And I think the other piece that ties that in is also if they have a website, just checking out their mm-hmm. website, seeing the language that they use, how they talk on their websites. Yeah. Um, and also in our bios. And I think yep. that that goes for both clients and therapists, but just being mindful of the words that you're putting out there, because right. that's also going to send a certain message to our clients in mm-hmm. both a positive um, way, but also in a in an unhelpful way if we're, right. if we're a bit unclear or kind of struggling to own our 
our power and our mm-hmm. specialty as a, as therapists to be able to and I think that that's also sometimes where that comes from is like a I think I talk to you about this a lot, mm-hmm. but imposter syndrome yes. of like, oh, I don't know. Because I would also classify myself as a trauma therapist. Like yes. I'm uh, yes. very, very, <laughs> I'm yes. like very specialized in it and um, have lots and lots of training and years of experience with it. Um, but even still to my own sacrifice yeah. will get in my way and, and turn Learn down more. opportunities to be like, sure. well, I don't know if I actually am. Um And so I think just being able to also own it, if that's Mm -hmm. something that you really do specialize in or you have an interest in, certainly own it, own it and be clear about it. And we don't have to water that down with like, well, I also do this other thing and Mm -hmm. this other thing. And sometimes I dabble in that and that we get to own our thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ada, this is has always been such a yes a great conversation yes which could go on for hours and hours and hours and that's why I love talking to you yeah same no it, it really does feel like we get like a weekly peer consultation no, going really on great. here it's, it's really fantastic great. it's it's very helpful and um if anybody has any feedback or thoughts about this episode or um has suggestions for future episodes we would certainly love to hear from you you can certainly reach out on social media at sincerely two. That's the number two in perfect therapists, or you can email us at sincerely two. That's the number two at gmail.com. And until next time, sincerely, sincerely two imperfect therapists. therapists.